Good day, everybody. Blog Talk Radio. Today, this is the day to fight depression, to get over some smoking addictions, to deal with your holiday blues by anticipating them and face them straightforward. Now is the time to start preparing for those holiday blues so you don't have to have a bad time. And then also let's talk about that winter weight gain. So that's today's program. I'm glad you've joined me. Let's talk about depression right off the bat. Depression. What an incredible way to rob you of life, but to be depressed, sad, blue, lethargic, feeling like you just can't get going, living in that dark black cloud that hangs over your head, hangs on you emotionally, so you feel completely meaningless, worthless, like nothing matters in this world, like you can't get anything going, and that you might as well just kill yourself. Suicide, suicidal thoughts that come out of the depression are really... um, they're deceptive. They're like little demons floating in your head telling you to give up. Give up. There's very few reasons to be depressed, to be quite honest with you, um, because the truth of the matter is as long as you're depressed, you're no longer able to solve problems. You're no longer able to change the things that go on in your life so that you don't have to feel depressed anymore. There's no longer a chance that you're going to be able to make things different in your life so that you don't have to feel depressed. Depression is a great way to rob your relationships as well of you. In other words, you're not there for your family. You're not there for work. You're not there for being able to enjoy yourself or get things done. Because the people around you are affected by your depression as well because you're no longer functioning or participating in the way that they would need you to be or would want you to be present. But when I say there's very little reason to be depressed, what I really mean is that depression is something that robs you of the very life that you're longing for when you're in a state of depression. Depression, another way of thinking about depression is that it actually is fooling you to become more and more inactive and less and less participating in changing your life. It fools you into thinking that there's nothing you can do to make things better. It fools you into thinking that you're worthless or meaningless and you have nothing to offer. That's what it fools you into being. Now, the typical things that depress people are loss, loss of a loved one. Secondly, loss of some sort of function, like being able to move around or do what you used to do or something that's gotten you flat on your, on, on your back in terms of your bodily capacity to function. Other things that make people depressed are, let's face it, the economy is really a key thing that makes people feel extremely unable to do what they need to do in their life. But that depression, that depressive response, even though I know it can make sense, it's logical, it is not the response that any of those situations need you to, to adapt. But when people walk into my office and they are depressed, we go through all of the various factors that have actually contributed to them authentically feeling very, very sad or flat, or, or or unable to function. And in going through those things, yes, anybody would be sad. 
Anybody would be scared. Anybody would feel overwhelmed in their like situation. So that depression often is, yes, of course, the great equalizer because anybody would feel depressed under many of those circumstances that I just mentioned and many that come your way, my way, everybody's way. And so depression, yes, of course, we can all understand a person feeling sad and depressed and lethargic and unable to get themselves back on their feet. But depression is not something that you need to tell yourself is, is a great friend or, or even though it's an authentic concern, it makes a lot of sense in terms of sadness or loss. But you don't want to buy into what depression tells you to do. And what does depression tell most people to do? Become passive, become inactive, feel worthless, have the blues, do things that keep you unable to function and unable to solve the problem. So in that case, what I'm saying is depression truly is not something that's your best friend. It isn't going to tell you the truth. What are some ways to get over depression, folks? Because after all, depression is the great robber and depression is the one that convinces you that there's nothing you can do to make things better. Okay, first and foremost thing to do is to sleep. Now, many people, this is a funny variable about depression, that many people will choose to be sleeping because they're tired or they'll avoid sleeping because they have so many things they want to get done or they don't sleep enough because, oh, they're watching television, they're doing their computer, or they actually have a lot of life that they want to live. And so under those circumstances, well, why would you want to sleep? Because life is great and you've got things going and so forth and so on. But one thing that happens is that without sleep, your body cannot recuperate itself. And without sleep, you can't feel fresh and ready to go. And so if you've looped into being depressed, even if you looped into being depressed and you were sleeping because you had all these activities going, realize that you could be depressed in part because of sleep depression. So therefore, because of sleep depression, you want to be able to wake your body up by giving it plenty of opportunity to be able to produce all those recovery hormones that occur, those growth hormones and other sorts of things that bathe your brain Bathe those parts of you that could be inflamed. Bathe you into being able to relax and recuperate so that your body can heal. And so sometimes people are depressed because your body doesn't have any chance to heal from whatever is stressing them out. But here is the other side of sleep and depression. Some people who are depressed sleep so much because it's a matter of escape or because truly your body and your brain have just gone to sleep. It's like a big shutdown is taking place. And not a shutdown that necessarily is associated to needing to recuperate. I mean, after a while, sleeping 10, 12 hours a day, even if it's just associated to nap, unless you're physically sick, unless you're physically ill, those 10 to 12 hours of sleep could mean that you're oversleeping. And there's some indication that actually oversleeping can aggravate depression even more. What are some of the reasons? Well, you're not stimulating yourself, you're, you're not moving your body around, you're not getting enough sunlight, you're not getting enough exercise. And all of those activities make people even feel physiologically depressed. In other words, their body slows down so much that their body can't feel awake and alive and active and capable. And without your body feeling awake and alive and capable, your brain begins to also be flooded into that exact same state. Now, there is a big connection between your neurology, your brain, in other words, and those neurotransmitters, the, the, the juices that massage your, your, all of the different parts of your brain. 
that allow you to not be depressed. So we know that serotonin and dopamine and HTP and GABA and all of these sorts of things that float in your brain to keep you alive and awake and alert and functioning, you're not there as much when you are depressed. And so as a consequence, your biochemistry inside your brain, your, your biochemistry, your physiology, all these aspects of what keep you awake and turned on in your brain are there and you feel depressed. But that's the perception of depression often is that it has less to do with all the events that are making you feel really down and a whole lot more to do with the fact that probably because of those events in your life and because of the way you responded to them, your brain now is taking over and it is being completely fooled because of these neurotransmitters not being, tra- not being transmitted, not being utilized in your brain in a way that makes you feel awake, alert, and happy. So you have to spend some definite time looking at yourself as a chemistry lab, and you have to say, okay, I've got to wake up the chemistry inside my body in order to be able to no longer have to be fooled by the sensation of depression and blackness that's taking me over. You have to become in charge, problem-solving, in other words, with the very things that would turn your brain on. So you do have to eat differently. You do need to exercise differently. You need to be out in the sun, and you need to take some nutrients, and perhaps you might need to take a short-term version of some psychopharmacological interventions that will help your brain twist itself around and come back into being awake enough for you to be able to move into being a functioning living being. There you go, folks. Depression. It can often be the great deceiver. Now, why is depression more present during the best time of the year than any other time of the year? Well, it's also important to know that depression is more present in communities or locations where individuals don't get a lot of sunlight, whether there's rain or cloud or fog. And there's more suicide that occurs in those circumstances, those places, because people have that overcast feeling constantly. But it's not just the overcast feeling, because remember, I'm talking about the biochemistry of the brain, but they're not getting all that stimulation by the sun, the vitamin D, et cetera, that will help them be able to feel awake and alive. In addition, of course, they're also not getting the biochemistry associated to activity. All of those endorphins that you can turn on, all that wonderful way to be able to optimize the adrenal system. You, you want to be able to optimize them in activity and exercise is definitely one way to do it. Okay, so as you can see, you need to change how you eat. You need to watch your sleep, make sure it's enough. We're not overwhelming you too much for too long. We need to make sure that you are taking the nutrients. You're going to bathe your brain appropriately. You need to get out there, have sun, lots of sun. That touches your arms and touches your legs, touches your face, so that you can get those vitamins inside of you that the sun is so good at being able to do. Now also you need to breathe. You need to get those bones and muscles, massage, oxygenated, so that that also fuels your body. Now, the last thing you're wanting to do when you're depressed is be active, be out, be social, and exercise. But the last thing you want to do when you're depressed, you want to cloister, you want to hide, you want to just kind of shut down. And again, if you're going through something physically that needs you to shut down, listen to your body because it will definitely tell you to relax and shut down, give your body a chance to recuperate. But what happens is when that pattern of shutting down extends beyond your body's need to recover, when really what you need to do is to turn on. So you have to have the willpower to say, you know what, I have no desire to exercise. 
No desire to go outside and get some sun. No desire to breathe some fresh air. No desire to eat well. No desire to sleep enough. I have no desire to turn the TV set off. I have no desire to be active in my body. I just want to be hermit. And you want to realize that, yes, of course, that's what you want because that's what your body is tuned into being, but it isn't what's going to get you out of your depression. And that's why another element of depression are those individuals in our lives that say to us, look, it's enough. You need to come out and be active. Many other things that we can do when we're depressed. And I want you to take some time really considering if you need to take interventions such as 5-HTP, natural element in your body, wakes up the brain, makes you feel great, makes you be able to be very creative, 5-HTP. And you can take that as a supplement when your body may not be producing enough. Do you want to research that? How about some GABA, G-A-B-A? You want to research that as well. How about sound easy? How about those sorts of natural interventions and others that are out there that do have to deal with your depression, have to deal with lifting the brain so that it can say, oh, okay, I can see the world out there. So take a look at those particular things. And then you have your psychopharmacological interventions. A lot of individuals I work with have been gradually saved by the fact that the psychopharmacological world has been able to find these antidepressant ways of intervening so you can wake up be alive and enter back into the world. And if these other interventions are not going to work for you or you just feel like you don't even have enough energy to think about doing anything, do one thing, find the right psychiatrist that will give you antidepressants that will just for a while be able to wake you back up into moving back into your body, into exercise, into breathing, into eating well, and so forth and so on. They can be the quickest intervention to get you back up on your feet. However, don't stay hanging with them. Don't feel like you need them all the time. There are some individuals that do need them all the time. Their body chemistry is just not set up in a way that you need to be able to handle life without taking that additive component of what they thought. However, for the majority of individuals, they don't need to take them a long time if they're doing all these other activities as well. So that's the antidepressant rule. Now, one more step. It is shown that one of the greatest interventions into depression, when the depression has really captured your life, is, of course, psychotherapy. Psychotherapy comes in all shapes and forms and is as, as individualistic as the psychotherapist would choose. You want a psychotherapist that understands what it feels like to be depressed. You want someone who feels like it's stupid, but you do want someone that doesn't feel like you have to be caught in the grind of depression. Someone who has hope and someone has the ability to energize you back into wanting to live. However, you also want a psychotherapy who can walk through the path of empathy, really deep, complex empathy, so you can cry and get out all of the issues and concerns that vex you and that watch you right into what went on. For some people, depression comes about because no one has really understood what has gone in their life that has led up to this moment. For those individuals who have had long-term abuse or have had memories of molestations and rape or have lost people very near and dear to them, such as their child, their spouse, or their parent, a good friend, or they've done something that they feel absolutely horrible about and they feel like they don't deserve to live, they need to be able to dump that information right into the lap of somebody who will keep it confidential and private, will understand it on the deepest level, will really be able to hold and contain that experience and then be able to walk you through that valley of death, so to speak, 
to the other side and you can start climbing the precipice of life. So that you want a therapist can do all of that with you and also therapists who will keep you moving forward, not one that just empathizes with you, so that every week you're just vexed with the same pain and the same stories going on. But someone who can say, okay, I get it. It's real. It's awful. It's dark. It's bleak. It's painful. It's hurtful. It's, it's devastating. And we still have to move on. And it's that sort of balance in the psychotherapist that allows you to be able to know you are for real not having a good life in this moment but that you for real need to move on and make life good. Different types of psychotherapy that have been in the past given quite a bit of recognition for helping with depression and cognitive behavioral therapy. The reason I think that's really an excellent uh, uh, approach is that it's problem-solving oriented, but it also jumps the gun because a lot of individuals that use cognitive behavioral therapy don't have much tolerance for all the emotional, psychodynamic, and psychodevelopmental aspects of what have gone on that fueled the depression to begin with. Also, you, uh, when someone's into the CBT, they may ignore all the physical things that you need to do to keep yourself going, such as the nutrients, the sleep, and the exercise. And so you want to make sure that anybody who does cognitive behavioral therapy also has all these other tools. That's a therapy that I think is really helpful for the in-depth, long-term kind of depression that's associated to deep history, like family complications to molestation, to things that have gone on a long time ago that never allowed you to form a really positive relationship with yourself and with others. And that's a psychodevelopmental, developmentally related psychoanalytic approaches to therapy. So you can look for someone who's doing psychoanalysis in that orientation that's associated to psychodevelopment. In other words, the development of who you are so they can walk you through redeveloping who you are and who you can be. Now, the only drawback to psychoanalysis, it's long-term and it's expensive and it's very detailed. And for some people, it's just simply not doable. In addition, sometimes some of the psychoanalysts get you so much into reliving what you went through that they're not that much into mobilizing you into the next phases of your life. So that's a drawback of that particular type of therapy. Now, the success-oriented types of therapy are, the, are those individuals that say, I can help you imagine your life without depression. I can move you forward into thinking who you would be if you were moving beyond depression. Now, the one disadvantage of those individuals is that they may not be able to be the most empathic related to where you're coming from in terms of how you got to be depressed. What I'm trying to tell you is that every form of therapy that you can possibly do will have a drawback. And that's okay, because that means that you need to realize that there's lots of things that you need to do in addition to whatever intervention. You have to draw back even to the psychopharmacological approach as well. There's a, there's a drawback to having exercise, and it doesn't work for every single person moving out of the depth of their depression, although it does help change everybody's biochemistry. So not everything is going to work in just taking one particular approach. And it has been my understanding that no matter what we talk about today, the more you do simultaneously from all sorts of different directions of life, the more likely you are to be able to step out of the situation you're in and move into the next situation where you want to be. Well, this is Dr. Terrell Francis. So far talking about depression, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about smoking addiction, holiday blues, which of course is related to what we're talking about now and that winter weight gain. 
day, we're all about ready to face that winter waking. So we might as well anticipate it so it doesn't come on. I'll be back. Back today, again, now we're going to talk about stop smoking. I have a huge campaign out there, everybody. I'm so excited about it because I can offer to you the materials that I have used to help people stop smoking for over 32 years. I have helped people on my YouTube alone. Over 100,000 people have used my YouTube uh, videos to help them stop smoking over the last 10 years. Or I guess it's less than 10 years since YouTube hasn't been around quite that long. I have used my, my materials to help people stop smoking associated hypnotherapy for 32 years. And with the wonderful advent of understanding the biochemistry of all of these things going on, we can also help people away from their addiction on a physical level as well. Now, I am really, really frustrated that people are supporting Cigarette Corporation. And you can look at all the other radio programs I have about stop smoking, and you can get more materials and information associated with that. But face it, if you're a smoker, you're not doing anybody any good except for one group of people. And that's the stockholders in the cigarette corporation companies. Why are you doing that? They don't need to be rich. They don't need your money. They don't need your life. It's blood money to them, whether they know it or not. And they want to keep you addicted. Seriously. Obviously, they want to keep you addicted. It benefits them. It doesn't benefit anybody else. It doesn't benefit you at all. It doesn't benefit your family, your friend, those people around you that also smoke with you. It doesn't benefit anybody but what? The corporation. If that's what you want to do, if you want your life to be given to them, you want to be a sacrifice to them, go for it. Now, I understand the people who smoke that really want to continue to smoke, you wouldn't even really be listening to us now, would you? Um, you, you're curious, you're here because, oh, you wish you could smoke, and it just feels like smoking is bigger than you are. And in some respects, it absolutely is, because the, the chemicals in smoking have taken you over. They own you like these little controllers, and you become the zombie. You become the puppet to all the chemicals inside those cigarettes. So, think for a moment. You're walking down that path to lung and brain cancer. You're walking down that path to respiratory complications. You're walking down that path to major heart diseases. You're walking down that path to causing all sorts of complications for yourself and anybody else that's exposed to your cigarette smoking on a secondary basis. So why would you want to walk down that path knowingly? We just finished talking about depression. And depression takes hold of people so much that they feel like they can't walk around any other path. It so completely deludes them into believing that depression is the only option that they have in life. And cigarettes is also deluding you into thinking that smoking and being addicted to smoking is the only package you have in life. It's not so. You can be free completely and totally of smoking. So guess what? I want you to look on the front page of this site. There it is. On the front page is the HTTP. HTTP. It's the site on my Facebook. I have a subsidiary page on Stop Smoking Successfully that if you click on to that link that's right there on the front page of this program, you will find the link that will 
get you into being able to spend only $2.99. I charge a whole lot more of that for psychotherapy. $2.99 to get started. You get the book, e-book, to write down into your computer or your device. You get the uh, ongoing um, letters and, and correspondence that encourage you to stay clear on your path. And you also get all these links to all the videos that have helped people be able to use self-hypnosis to be able to stop smoking. It is the beginning. If you can't afford to stop smoking by using hypnotherapy, by going to a hypnotherapist or myself or doing it online with me through Skype or Google, if you can't afford to do that, you can't afford $2.99. And that is my way of trying to help you into the next pathway. It's not about the money for me, everyone. It is about you being able to have your own life and not give it away to the cigarette corporation company. You don't need to be spending that money on cigarettes anymore. You truly, truly don't. So I know that this is kind of a pet talk, guys, but that's exactly what this is all about today. You can also look at all the other different radio shows that I have on Stop Smoking. It's hypnotic suggestions that are powerful from people as they relax and allows the biochemistry in their brain to chill on a very, very different pathway to being a non-smoker, being able to imagine yourself as a non-smoker and move away from being married to a cigarette. For a while, anywhere from three to six weeks, you can be fighting the cravings of smoking until your body begins to convert into what it's like to function on a neurological level, on a physical level, physiological level, into being a non-smoker. And while you're converting in that three to six weeks, guess what? Exercise, eating a certain way, taking those interventions into helping you be a non-smoker, I highly, highly like the collection of helping you stop smoke nutrition or nutrients that are available at Lindbergh. And Lindbergh is online as well as stores in lots of different locations. So go online, find out what their supplements are, take them, use them. You could also use all the sorts of medications that are well advertised on television along with your self-hypnosis, the use of the videos, reading the book. The whole idea is that you want to approach smoking simultaneously from eight different directions in your life. The social, your habit patterns, uh, the actual activity of, of what it means to go out there and meditate for those seven minutes of smoking where you get away from the maddening crowd, the physical aspects of smoking, what it does to your body, how you want to convert that around, the need of yourself to have a different identity, an image of yourself as a smoker. So you want to take a look at eight different variables in your life, and I discuss that in my book. I discuss it on uh, my radio show. I discuss it on my YouTube, which is Dr. Carol Francis' YouTube. So you can go ahead and get a hold of what those eight are, choose only five of those different dimensions if you want to, and immediately start intervening in five of those different dimensions with who you are. Now, most of the people that I work with obviously really like to come in for hypnosis and prefer to be able to talk to someone about what's going on. That may be your approach as well. So give me a call. There's my phone number right down there. I do work on the Internet. So if you're at a distance, we can work that way. Or I do it in my office, which is in the South Bay area of the Los Angeles Department. Okay, that's my pitch for Stop Smoking today. Please, folks, let's not support the cigarette companies anymore. They don't. Your life. We'll be back in a moment.
talk about that winter weight gain. It's the most natural thing to occur to the human body. And the reason it's the most natural thing to occur is because we do go through a form of hibernating. We slow down during the winter months for lots of different reasons. It's more complicated to get out. It, there's more weather issues in terms of interfering with what we do in terms of activity and exercise. But for those of us that work sitting down or work in front of our office or computers anyway, it's hard enough to get out as well because it takes a discipline to get yourself out when you're so busy doing your work. But that's part of the issue, that we don't get enough sunlight and enough exercise during winter to months. And we're more inclined to get out and be more active during the time when the air, is temp- air temperature is more equal to what our bodies enjoy and the and the, and the environment itself is more inviting to get out into it. And so we're more likely to put on winter weight. Now, that's associated to SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, which is related to depression. So Seasonal Affective Disorder has a lot to do with individuals who, within the shortening of the day, become extremely aware that they're not getting enough of something. And what we have found out is they don't get enough of the sunlight, the vitamin D, the mag- magnesium, et cetera, that is associated to metabolism, to brain chemistry as well, as well as to being able to be active. So the seasonal affective disorders often intervene very easily by using a lamp every day, every day for at least an hour, where you actually sit under the lamp and do whatever you would normally do, in front of your computer, read a book, etc. underneath that lamp that gives you the, the supplements that the sun would usually give you. So that's a seasonal affective disorder, and that type of thing also is involved in winter waking. So you want to be aware of time out in the sun when you don't have all your clothes on because your body, your skin, needs to absorb what the sun has to give you. Now, with whatever's going on in your environment, whether or not you get a lot of sun or your your air is full with a lot of uh, pollution, then you'll need to also be able to supplement it with vitamin D, which nowadays are the up-and-coming intervention in the the doctor's uh, approaches to what's going on with depression, metabolism, and overall health. So look into vitamin D. Now, along with the seasonal affective disorder affecting your weight, is, is also that we're exposed to a lot of different foods that are fatty, they're comfort foods, and they also have a lot of sugar in them. Those comfort foods are all about tantalizing your wonderful mouth as another form of giving you great sensations that replace that, getting outside and feeling great sort of experience. They add into your body those type of you know, uh, those good feel sorts of things. It's like having opiates in your brain, like opium, that, that, that makes you feel good. And then your body wants to feel good like that all the time. So those feel-good foods are associated to fat, associated to sugar and salt. When it makes your body feel good, recognize, oh, I'm eating this in order to feel good, to get that kind of turn-on, to get that kind of, oh, this is great kind of experience. So as a consequence, if you're going to be putting on weight because of those feel-good sorts of things, you want to slow way down. The first ideal that you want to put into place is to say to yourself, I can have these types of foods any day of the year. It's not like these foods are not available. Somewhere, somehow, I can get a hold of any one of these foods that's sitting here in front of me at the party, at work, or, or in the grocery store. So any day of the year, I can get a hold of this food. I do not need to eat this food today because I can have it tomorrow. In addition, you can say, I can have a bite. I can have two bites. And if that works for me, great, because by the time you get to your fourth or fifth bite, you're no longer really tasting your food. You're no longer really taking in all the treat aspects of what's going on. At that point in time, you're just exercising the eating habits that you've developed, such as I must clean my plate or I must finish this product. 
The fact that someone decided that you needed a foot-long hot dog doesn't mean that your body decided that it needed a foot-long hot dog. That the fact that there's this big, huge eclair sitting on your plate in front of you doesn't mean you need to eat all of that eclair. So if you have a programming inside of you that you have to eat everything in front of you or you certainly don't want to waste the food, which is another meme that comes into our ways of thinking, you don't realize that that's really going to work against you in terms of the winter weight. So you need to change your attitude about the amount of food that's in front of you, number one. Number two, you need to change your mindset about whether or not you really need to have that food because you're never going to have that available again. So the common thing that I see that people say when they come to my office because they're so frustrated with the way they're gaining weight during the winter is that, well, it just all looks so good and it's there and it's available. It's, it's only one season during the year. And that's why I'm saying, no, it is not one season during the year. Again, the mindset, I can have this any day of the year. I really don't need this today. The third aspect that I find very interesting is people thinking that when they need to socialize and there's lots of food around, that they simultaneously need to eat. Now, sometimes people drink in order to make themselves a little bit more at ease about socializing because they have to get over those shy or nervousness about feeling that I'm going to be rejected or not liked in this certain situation. So they drink or they eat, and it kind of moves them into feeling a little bit more comfortable about engaging in conversation with, with, with people that are also worried that you're not going to accept them as well. So, you know, so everybody's playing this internal game about, oh, dear, this is going to be awful. No one's going to really like me in this social situation. Just go in there. and Everybody's nervous. You might as well just know that and do your best and make people feel like comfortable with themselves around you, and that'll make it so that they're feeling more comfortable around you and therefore enjoy socializing with you. But that's very different than saying I have to reach for the drink, I have to reach for the food in order to kind of fit into the moment and be able to make this awkward situation of socializing into something that's more comfortable. Well, why do you need to eat when you go socialize? You eat for nutrition. You eat because you need to drink. You eat because you just are starving and your body needs to have energy. And you eat because you want to be entertaining your mouth. And your mouth is a small little section of your body. I mean, truly, how big is your mouth? Has all these wonderful sensory capacities inside of all these different ways of experiencing flavor and texture and hydration. And it's so core to who we are as human beings because, after all, it is the first component of our human relationship that we enter into this world. And it's the first way we relate to our world is through our mouth, our eyes and our skin, our necks. So if your mother is is breastfeeding you, and that's the way you're taking her in socially and emotionally, or bottle feeding you, or your, your father, or whoever, that's still your first pleasure experience associated to being in this world. The second one is through the way you're touched, loved, and hugged, and, and, and covered in delicious, soft blankets. But that doesn't occur for everybody. And as a consequence, they look for the easy way that they can have a pleasure moment, and guess what? Food is the easiest way. It's accessible, number one. Number two, not only is it easily accessible, but it's in your control. You don't have to wait for anybody else to hug you. You don't have to wait for anybody else to love you or want to be next to you. You don't have to wait to have a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife that want to cozy up to you. You can just eat whenever you want to, and you're in control of it. So it gives you that uncanny ability satisfy your need for fun and enjoyment and a good feeling at any moment of the day. 
So now wait a minute. Why are you needing to feel good by way of food when your body, by way of gaining weight, clearly says don't eat anymore? Now, gaining weight has all sorts of complications. It's much like cigarette. It hurts your brain. It hurts your respiratory system. It hurts your heart. It causes all sorts of cholesterol complications. It makes it harder on your muscular skeletal system, so you're not likely to move around as you get older. You're going to be less active the heavier you feel because you're not going to feel like you want to be so active. All of that really high-calorie food has a tendency to make people, one, more depressed, or two, anxious because that's just the biochemistry component of it. So the food that you're attracted to that feels good for the moment can also do lots of complicated things to your physical body as well as to your mental health. So you want to look at that eclair sitting in front of you or that ice cream or that cake or cookie or candy with a little bit of suspicion. It's okay to have a relationship with them, but remember, one or two bites is really all you taste and really all the texture and good feelings that come with it. After that, there's no longer any good feelings associated to it. That's the interesting part. So if you take a sampler of all sorts of different foods and have a bite or two of each of them, you actually will enjoy yourself more if you're looking to food to be a source of enjoyment than if you eat all of the eclair and then eat all of the cookies and then eat all of the cake because you don't need the all. And the pleasure aspect of it is only within the first one or two bites. So in light of that relationship with food and in light of the fact that that food over there that all fills with things that are going to harm our body may tantalize that full space called mouth they change the biochemistry for just a short period of time. They make you feel like, oh, it's so great. This is so good. That type of biochemistry is so temporary when it comes to salt and sugar and fat. <clears throat> so as a consequence, look at that food with a bit of suspicion and be in charge of it as opposed to it being in charge of you. Now, as with the smoking, I'm really excited that you also can get ahead of yourself in terms of the wind for weight gain. And I've written a book called If You Can't Stop Eating, Maybe You're Hungry, Reset Your Cravings. And the premise of it is based on the idea that when we're eating foods that aren't really all that nutritionally good for our bodies, our bodies become very compromised. And therefore, we begin to go to foods more and more and more and more, even though it's not the right type of food. And we all know what the right types of foods are. Okay, here we go through the drill. Ready? Green vegetables, yellow vegetables, red vegetables, red fruits, all sorts of different fruits. Any type of fruit that you eat has wonderful sugar in it. All those vegetables have all the minerals and vitamins and fibers you possibly want. Don't forget your protein. For those of you that are vegetarian, you're going to have to work a little harder at that combination, combining your, your wonderful complex grains with your wonderful complex lagoons and beans. For those of you who do eat meat, make sure to have some protein with every meal because that keeps the craving of sugar down. Being having the right, full, complete amino acids associated to the right amount of nutrients, minerals, and vitamins. Now, if that didn't work for you, in that book, if you can't stop eating, maybe you're hungry, reset your cravings. There's also a long list of nutrients that you can put into your diet, into your body that fight the craving are the types of foods that are actually going to harm you in the long run. So you want to put those minerals and vitamins into your body so that you'll be able to go, okay, fine. My body has what it needs and it feels good. And as with depression, since 
so much of eating is associated with trying to make you feel good. You know that sometimes eating is an anti-anxiety. It's an anti-social scary moment. Well, we could call it something very different in the field of clinical psychology. But I think you understand it from the idea, oh, I'm just socially feeling awkward. And then also, in, in the world of antidepressants, food also is used a lot, again, to make you feel good so you don't feel depressed. But it backfires. It all backfires if you're not giving your body the right thing. Remember, your body is just a chemical factory. So you can go ahead and read a book about if you can't stop eating, maybe you're hungry, reset your cravings. And if you're dealing with bulimia or anorexia or anything along that, oh, I just can't stop eating, that book will really help you. And you can get this book so inexpensively. I've made it just as inexpensively as I can, especially now through e-bookings. You don't even have to get the copy that you buy off the shelf. and get it immediately right now. And, again, I put the link right in the front of this program. Folks, I am really trying to make this life something that you can live and feel good about and be in charge of as opposed to feeling like food's in charge of you, depression's in charge of you, cigarettes are in charge of you, winter's in charge of you. No, you have to be coming down to be in charge of your own life. And we'll talk about that in a moment. We're going to come back, take a breather, rest, stretch, enjoy yourself, and we have a moment of meditation. Take a very, very deep, deep breath in. Hold it for a little bit and then let it go out and blow it out. Take another deep, deep breath in. Hold it again and then blow it out slowly and completely and fully and then hold the emptiness time. Take a third very deep breath in. Hold it, blow it out, and hold the emptiness one more time. And we have found that breathing has a tremendous amount to do with giving your body the right type of oxygen. Your brain gets bathed. And if you breathe deeply on a regular basis, like once an hour, then you want to add that delicious stretch to it. So right now, you're driving a car, walking, you're sitting at your office desk, just stretch. Stretch your body whatever way you can that makes it safe for you. But give your body that nice stretch. Be good to the muscles and the bones. Be good to the capillaries. Be good to every aspect of your body. I want you for a moment to just take consideration of what you are made of. You are your body. You might really wish that you didn't have to live by the rules or laws or principles that govern our bodies. But the truth is, is that you are in your body. And as a consequence, you want to look at your body and say, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm captain of the ship here. I need to make decisions that are in your benefit. I need to exercise you and fuel you, and I need to move, move you and have fun and laugh. Have a good time with you, body, because I need to take good care of you. Because if I take care of good care of you, you'll take really good care of the me that I identify myself with. If I identify myself with the person who is sad or going through some rough times, scared, going through some awkward and I don't know what's going to happen time, my body is the thing that's going to help me get through those moments. 
Because if my body feels energetic enough, if my body feels strong enough, if my body is well-fueled with things that will help me through this moment, then my body will support the process of being able to be oriented, solving problems, getting tasks done that just at some point need to be done. My body will help me be able to get out there and be active, which will help me on so many levels with all sorts of different moods, with my weight, with my feeling good about myself, with engaging in the world around me, which is one of the solutions, but it's also one of the the activities that we refuse to participate in when we're depressed or anxious. My body, if I treat it well, will help me stay away from feeling addicted to substances that only companies get money on. If my body is well-nutritioned and well-exercised and well-swept and well-loved, well-touched, then my body will support me in not having to look for pleasures that are only there to actually harm me in the long run. So look at your body. Feel your body as you stretch it again. And know that every single cell in your body, the trillions and trillions of cells that are in your body, all have your DNA inscribed on it. They're all a part of you. They're all there, right there with you and for you. Every single part of your body. Amazing, isn't it? Trillions and trillions of cells that go around living for you, functioning for you, trying to make things work for you so you don't have to think about it that often. Trying to do the best they can do, the best given the nutrition and exercise and sleep that you're giving them. They do their best for you. So imagine that body. And now imagine you as the person in charge of taking care of it. Wow. You're captain. And if you're not taking care of your body, what, what can your body do for you? It'll try its best. And you can get away with treating it badly for a period of time. Some of us can treat it badly for a longer period of time than others of us can do. So you can't do that. Well, what's the point? This is your body. You know, some, some approaches look at your body as an amazing, amazing castle or an amazing uh, sanctuary. You know, it's a, a, it's a mansion. It's this thing that needs to be cleaned out, needs to be organized, needs to be attended to. Um, other people just love this body as this amazing tool that just moves it from one place to another so they can do all these activities or fun. Some of us look at the body as an encumbrance. Oh, slows you down. But then what would you do in this existence, in this lifetime, if you didn't have your body? Well, we know the answer to that one. You wouldn't do much. Now I want you to forecast yourself into your future. I don't know what age you are. But I work a lot with elderly people. And now baby boomer generation, guess what? A very large portion of the population is elderly in the United States. And there's regret. There's regret that they didn't take better care of their body. They didn't walk until their elder years with more muscle mass. They didn't walk into their elder years with their skeletal system not being taken care of. They regret the abuses that they put their body through through smoking, alcohol, lack of exercise, overeating, not sleeping enough, not laughing enough, not getting enough good feeling, touching the genuine stuff in life. They regret it because now their bodies are hard to maneuver. It is not easy growing older and having a body that compromises you no matter what. No matter how healthy you walk into being old, you have a lot of physical complications you have to deal with while you're old and it consumes money and time going to the doctors and recovering from illnesses or complications and it doesn't make you feel good and it just, it's like a 
feet to build and to have to deal with what goes on in your body. So now look forward as you think about getting older and tell yourself, I want to optimize my body so that when I get older, I'm one of those elderly people that are running and walking along the street every day. I'm one of those elderly people who don't have excess weight on their skeletal muscular system and therefore not taxing them too much. I'm one of those people that isn't poisoning their body by what they eat or what they smoke or what they drink. I'm one of those people that embrace life as much as I can and still abuse myself as creative and productive and contributing to the planet, to my family, to my world. I want to be one of those elderly people that play with the grandchildren or go out there and still garden or still travel the world or still make oodles of money or contribute to things that are going on around them. I want to be one of those. And therefore, if I want to be one of those, you look back at your body you say, body, I need to treat you really, really, really well. I need to treat you like you are this amazing, amazing machine, this amazing chemical process. And I need to be in charge of what I put in you and what I do with you so I optimize your genuine happiness, not my mouth's momentary pleasures. Now look at your mouth. Mouth, you say, and talk to your mouth frequently. I get that you love all these things, to choose the sweet pleasures, the, the, the feeling of the alcohol, the the taste of the salt, the, the wonders of fat. Brain, I know you like that temporary sensation, but guess what, guys? We're going to regulate that. We're going to do it. We're not going to go crazy. We're not going to deprive because deprivation tends to be the best way towards rebelling against what's best for you. But we're not going to indulge because indulgence is just simply not necessary. And we'll make you happy. You'll enjoy some moments, but at the same time, you need to make the rest of my body happy. Now, if you need to create those things that are awesome for who you are and help my body, now if you need to direct me in the right direction and you need to eat some things that might not be tasting so good, that might be a little bitter, might be a little sour, just because we know that it's good for our body. Brain. We need to get the right types of things inside you so that you function in a way that you can be happy, feel energetic and lively. And I have for too long been eating and doing or not doing the things that that are going to only make me feel depressed, anxious, wanting to retreat, gaining the winter fat, or just putting me into a spot that I can't function. We're ready to go. We're ready to be successful. I'm ready to charge forward. Whether I feel like it or not, I am ready to make my life what it is supposed to be. So now I'm in charge of it. So let's go. We go to the grocery store. We go to the kitchen. And every single moment we decide to eat something. We have an opportunity to be active. Go be active. We have an opportunity to be happy and laugh. Go laugh. We have an opportunity to, in any given moment, to make the best of our life. We can choose in every moment a choice. And sometimes it's a choice out of sheer willpower and effort to do what's going to optimize all the moments that follow. And eventually you will feel the reward of making those choices and decide, boy, why did it take me so long? Why was I fooled 
and deceived by the cigarette company? Why was I fooled and deceived by that Hollywood fatty and sugary and salty food? Why was I fooled and deceived by the depression that only wanted to keep me being less than I can fully be? Why was I fooled? So harness yourself up, get yourself back on your feet, make your body yours to function optimally so that you as a human being can come alive as well. But that's enough for the day. This is Dr. Carol Francis. Please do feel free to contact me. I would love to hear the progress you're making or participate in helping you make the progress you want and need to make. So you can contact me at 310-543-1824. You can also reach me through drcarolfrancis.com. And don't forget, right at the front of the page, you can read the list there. You can move right into the Stop Smoking right this very moment, or you can start reading yourself into healthy eating with If You Can't Stop Eating. Maybe you're hungry, but reset your cravings. So I look forward to being a part of your life. That's right, part of your life. Not part of your depression, not part of your eating slump, not part of your smoking, but part of you coming alive and optimizing who you are. Dr. Carol Francis, make life happen. Make your life happen. Make it happen now.